I was upset. I didn't think I had what it takes. It took a while to admit anything was wrong. Diet and exercise sounded intimidating. But small easy goals made it easy to start. Every situation is different. There are many paths to victory, but the end goal is all the same. This is the Weight Loss Podcast with Matt and Courtney, a couple who committed to a strategy and lost a combined 100 kilograms. When it comes to weight loss, you don't just need encouragement, you need a strategy. Hello and welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast. My name is Courtney and as always next to me is Matt. Hello. And we are back with an awesome episode about eating food. I know, amazing. But (laughs) this is a little bit different. We're going to be talking about whether you are or are not a mindful eater. What do you mean by mindful eater? I'm glad you asked, Matt. (laughs) <laughs> it's almost like a setup. It's almost like we planned Thanks it. Thanks for asking. <laughs> what do you mean by mindful eater? <laughs> what I mean is a lot of people will eat without thinking about it. And then also a lot of people will eat with only one thing in mind, which is... Is this plate of food that I'm about to eat going to make me fat or not make me fat? Or bucket of food. That is pretty much, when it comes to food, a lot of people's idea is all based around how is this food going to affect the way that I look. So, Isn't that how it should be? When we talk about food, that is generally where most people's mindset goes, especially Mm. when we're talking about, well, this is the weight loss podcast. So a lot of people think about how is this going to affect the way that I look? How is it going to affect my weight loss goals? Those sort of things. However, most people don't actually stop to think about how is this going to make me feel? So how is this food that I'm about to consume going to make me feel? In terms of? Not feel like it's going to make me feel happy or sad. Is it going to make me feel sick? Is it going to make me feel sluggish? Bloated. Bloated. Lethargic. Yes. Like is it, shit. Is it going to affect mm. the, the way my body can digest this food? So is it going to affect my bowel movements? You know, those things that most people don't actually stop to think about, but it also, is a really, really big part. I think you could also say things like recovery. Yeah. Will it uh, help to accelerate or potentially decelerate my recovery from intense exercise? Also, will it help or hinder performance? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So this is what we say. This is what it means when we talk about mindful eating. Well, Are you this, a mindful eater? In this instance, I think we do because I think personally, mindful eating can also extend to people just eating shit without thinking about it. Correct. Which- Probably is a different discussion. See, that's a whole different discussion. So I think we do. We, we are doing a good job here just to frame what we mean by the, top, yeah. the term mindful eating. So for the sake of this episode, we are just going to be talking about when you think about food do you, and when you look at food, do you look at it in terms of is this going to make me fat or not make me fat? Or do you look at food in terms of, as we just spoke about, recovery, feeling good, bloated, Etc. 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 You can almost look at it as being where if you're coming from the background of hey, I've had a bit of a, a sketchy past in terms of weight gain, weight loss, weight regain, etc. I've not looked after myself in the best possible way for you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty plus years. I think a question you can ask when it comes to being a mindful eater is, 
is this food going to heal me? Because mm. to me, there is healing that occurs on the inside and the outside. Obviously, the biggest concern that most people tend to have is, is this going to heal me on the outside so I can look tip top? But the thing is, the outside is a reflection of the inside. Yeah. So in my mind, if the outside is not, shall we say, ideal, we, that would mean to me the inside is not ideal and wouldn't it then go the other way around? If we're looking to then heal us ourselves on the outside, doesn't it start on the inside? And that's also how I've looked at food for, for a long time now is, is this going to help me and heal me in more ways than one? Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, and very well said. And I just don't think there's enough well, emphasis a lot placed on that. Mm. So Matt, when we talk about that, we've got sort of a phrase when we talk about these sort of things. What's the phrase? Yep. The golden triangle. So <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> thought you oh, were with me. Thought we were doing thing. pretty well here, but no, that's okay. Can you explain what the golden triangle means? All right, the golden triangle. So... Courtney and I have a very, very simple sort of way to judge. We, we get a lot of questions from, from people like, you know, clients, potential clients, friends, etc., asking about our opinion on insert weight loss diet slash program here. Now, one way you can approach how to assess any sort of program is to dive into the deep end and try and analyze every little bit that it talks about or recommends or whatever. We like to keep it simple because more simple is more better, as we like to say so elegantly. <laughs> the golden triangle is what we use to assess the potential effectiveness of anyone's diet, anyone's program. So the golden triangle is, shockingly enough, a three-pointed assessment. And the three points are this, how you look, how you function, how you feel. In our minds, if any program out there or any, any diet, any program, any food, any, anything that you are doing that, is, that has the aim of weight loss needs to address those three points of the golden triangle. Otherwise, you know it's going to be some sort of short, short-lived result or unsustainable or potentially unhealthy. Yeah, absolutely. So how you look how you function, how you feel. The three things work hand in hand in hand together. And if we're looking at a program and we can see it doesn't address one or two of those three points, chuck it in the bin. Yeah. Get rid of it. And that's a really easy way that we uh, will guide our clients and just you know answer questions on certain diets. Well, do you think this address, addresses the three points of the golden triangle? Yeah. If you think it does, then guess what? You're probably going to be on what we call here in Australia a pretty good wicket. Absolutely. If it doesn't address uh, all three, it's you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money. Yes. So just to even go a little bit further than that, and I'll give an example, one that I heard just today actually, which was there was a girl who was talking about how lately her and her family have been cutting down on a lot of high energy sort of starchy carbs that they've been consuming. The processed stuff? The processed stuff. Yeah, so okay. like pastas. Even just the simple potato, which is not processed, but it is a very high energy carb, the white potato, pastas, rices, noodles. They've been cutting all of that breads, trying to cut that down. Well, you just said the. In all of their meals. <laughs> There's a dangerous word, cutting. 
bread. Mm. Um, but yeah, cutting that down and trying to replace it with a lot of more vegetables, just protein vegetables. Mm. Then they went out the other night and they decided just to have whatever they wanted and they had uh, pizzas and burgers and chips. Oh, last out. Really, really piled on those processed high energy carbs again that they'd been cutting down on. Mm. And they said that they felt physically ill afterwards. To the like to the point where they thought they were gonna be sick. And then the next day they just felt very tired, lethargic, very upset tummy, bloated. And it did it made me think about this topic and mm. how a lot of times that again, people just look at food always not in the way of, is this going to make me feel sick? And they didn't. She said they, they didn't think it was going to make them feel that way because they had always had that food. But just for those weeks that they had cut down on how much they had had and then suddenly spiked back up again, they felt really shit. Also, clearly that as well, like listening to you tell that story, they've gone through a fuel shift Yes, as well for that. Well, until we move on, Matt, just explain what the fuel shift means. A fuel shift is when your body is used to functioning uh, under certain fuel sources. So this is a cl- this, what you just said, Courtney, classic is a, example. a classic example. So their bodies for a long time were used to functioning on high energy, starchy carbohydrates, as you said, bread, pasta, rice, noodles, potato, etc. Mm-hmm. And that was for what their bodies were used to, their primary fuel source. They then started to replace that fuel with more low energy sources. I think you said what vegetables. Yeah, just taking salads. that out, like just replacing it. So yeah, if they yeah. were going to have usually have like a a, a wrap for dinner. They yeah. would replace it with maybe like a salad okay. and the meat instead of a wrap. And that's like I I can fully endorse that, and I can support that. But also, you're then what you're then doing is you're asking your body to operate under a different or different fuel sources. Mm. So then also after a while of doing this, your body gets used to running under these certain fuel sources. And then when you ask it to process what it used to, but hasn't done for a little while now, it can be a bit of a shock to the system. And you said the perfect symptoms there, Courtney, uh, of this sort of fuel shift where often it can be shown in signs of you know, lethargy. Uh, sickness or feeling it like you're going to be sick and mm. I've had that you've had that yes and just feeling a bit bleh, basically so they've clearly gone through a fuel shift which is a necessary uh, point in the journey that you have to go through it's yeah it's just the symptoms the symptoms can be avoided but these symptoms are a classic sign of a fuel shift yeah and I think it happens this sort of thing happens to a lot of people because it just comes as a shock, I think, to a lot of people that fuel shift and that how how quickly your body starts to enjoy the new food that you've introduced. Well, hey, you're giving it a lot of the good stuff. Your body's going to appreciate it. Correct. You know, and then, then you start to introduce the stuff that you used to have. <laughs> you used to have it, but it's not used to having it anymore. Yes. And you and I have gone through that, and we're we're getting we're getting to examples shortly of foods that. We used to have that when we have them now. Mm, Correct. Not really. So then I think this follows then on again, Matt, to the discussion of then people start to get panicky and start to say, oh, but I thought you said we went on a diet and you can sometimes have this sort of food. 
Well, you, well this is the thing. You can, yes. but you can't control the way your body starts to react to different foods because your body's going to change the way it processes these fuel sources over time. Mine has, yours has, uh, all of our successful clients have. It's, it's part of the process. Yes. And this is where we talk about the discussion of being a mindful <laughs> eater. Just because you used to slam down pizza wholesale doesn't mean your body's going to enjoy it forever especially once you change your fuel sources. Correct. Uh, the biggest, should we get into, into examples here? Yeah, we may as well right. flow into examples. The, the biggest example for me personally, the biggest two in terms of the ones I used to have copious amounts of that now hit me like a truck are bread and if I would ever drink alcohol. Yeah. So bread's the biggest one where I used to consume bread like it was an Olympic sport. Mm. So every single day, I'm going through half a loaf to a loaf of bread and I didn't know any better. Like, I mean, I can't really say I felt fine because I was fat and unhealthy, but it didn't have the effect on me that it does now. Mm. So back then, I'm having bread daily, multiple times a day. And now, if I were to have bread, I get what I personally call bread belly. And I think you've, you've been around, Courtney, when this has hit me. Yes. Within about half an hour to 45 minutes of consuming bread, even good stuff like you know, multigrain, rye, dark rye, etc. Within half an hour to 45 minutes, I think I can empathize with what a woman feels like when she's six months pregnant. Yeah. The bread belly hits and all of a sudden, whatever pants I'm wearing, they just feel too tight. They're tight. Uh, I feel heavy. And I feel dense, more dense than usual, you might say. <laughs> but I feel heavy and dense and very, very sluggish and just highly lethargic. Mm. Even if I were to have bread after an intense training session, which theoretically is when it should be the ideal time to consume bread, my body still doesn't like it then. So the bread belly hits me pretty hard. And it's the same thing if, you know, it's been a while since I've had it, but when I've had alcohol, uh, over the last five, six years, even after a couple of drinks, we're talking like two, three drinks, I feel just a little bit flat, low, low on energy, where in the past, like I drank alcohol like people drink water. So they're the ones that affect me the most now. But it's also gone the other way, where foods that I used to really be averse to when I was younger... In terms of they just taste, well, I, you know, they tasted gross. I now absolutely love pumpkin and Brussels sprouts are the best example. Pumpkin is currently my number one favorite vegetable. In particular, pumpkin roasted in the oven with a little bit of herbs and spice added over the top. I just can't get enough of that. It is so delicious. Yet when I was younger, the taste of pumpkin I thought was foul. Mm. Now, I haven't forced myself to love pumpkin over the years. My body just, it just learned to like it. Yeah. You, and now, Courtney, you can give some, some, I think, far more in-depth examples than me because this sort of thing's hit you pretty hard. Yeah, well, I think my list of things I've taken out is much longer than the things that I've, I've discovered a love for. Mm-hmm. But that's just not only because of how my body's changed, but it's how I've been able to recognize certain foods were causing me to have more problems. So I think I mentioned in previous episodes, I have been diagnosed 
uh, two years ago now, basically with endometriosis. Um, and that is a disease that affects the female sort of pelvic area where we get tissue that grows outside uh, of their basically yet tissues that grow in areas that it's not supposed to grow and it's caused a lot by inflammation uh, can accelerate the process so by eating foods that were causing inflammation causing me to bloat causing problems was actually just making the disease worse without me realizing it so in in knowing and listening to my body over time, I've I've gone from cutting down, changing certain foods because my taste changed, which is what happened at the start. That's mm. often what happens. And coffee is a prime example for me with the degrees that I've had to change certain things. So when I used to, before I met you, Matt, I would have coffee with milk and like sometimes up to three sugars. Bucket of sugar, I like it. And then I cut that down to be able to have it with just milk then I cut that down to be able to have just black coffee. Mm. And so because over time, as I was cutting down all of the foods that had so much sugar in them that I was consuming, all the processed foods, and I wasn't consuming as much sugar, my taste buds could tolerate more bitter flavors. Whereas before, I would never have been able to handle that sort of bitter taste. I would never have been able to go from milk chocolate to 90% dark chocolate and think that it tasted delicious. Which it does. Which it does. But again, that's just how my taste buds were able to change over time. But then in terms of the way my, my body was functioning, I realized that it still wasn't there. And I went through a lot of time trying to figure out why and then all sort of clicked into place when I was diagnosed with endometriosis and I could sort of figure out why I was having these issues. So when I got diagnosed, I basically cut out gluten, I cut out dairy, I cut out garlic and I cut out onion. Oh yeah, I um, I don't have much dairy either. Yeah, people say that all the time to me. And the thing is that I can really, really feel now for people that have like legitimate allergies for these things and they can't eat anything with it at all. I know a couple of friends who are allergic to gluten, so they legitimately have celiac disease. I'm not allergic to these foods. I'm not allergic to gluten, dairy, garlic and onion. But those four especially are foods for me that, or food groups for me that, really really affect my tummy and will just bloat me and they'll just make uh my uh, endo symptoms worse they put you in pain they, they give me this. legitimate pain so it Can is Can I give a, a quick example yeah uh, a couple of weeks ago courtney and i went out on a date dinner as we do yes and we have to be very mindful in this case especially for courtney where because courtney can as, as you just said can be set off quite easily by these sorts of foods, gluten, dairy, garlic, onion, etc. And so we've got to be really mindful to scan any sort of cafe or restaurant's menu online before we select where we're going. So I found this place locally that shall not be named. Yes. That advertises itself as, was it a gluten-free... Menu. Menu? Mm-hmm. And Courtney ordered a gluten-free meal. Wasn't gluten-free. Uh, clearly within about, what was it? Probably it's a five minutes. Yeah, we were still at out the table. No, we were still at the table when it started. But when we were, walking, when we were yeah. walking out of there, you were doubled over in pain. Yeah, yeah. You were actually on your haunches because of the pain in your stomach. Yeah, walking back to the car, I had to undo my jeans. 
Now you find with yourself, I mean, in case of Courtney, Courtney has had mindful eating forced upon her. Yes. Almost in a violent fashion by your body. Yeah, absolutely. And so then when you look at coffee even, now my body, I've realized patterns with my body and I can still tolerate coffee, but I can only have a maximum of one a day. Maximum. What does more than one do to you? Um, it affects my digestive system. Mm-hmm. So, and, and over time, that just being able to find patterns in the way that, that I eat, the way that I function, the way that I feel. So if my digestive system isn't working properly, that causes me to feel even more fatigued. It will affect, obviously, the way that I'm feeling because it does make you feel sick if you get um, bloated and you feel like you, you can't, you're, you're, the food is not digesting through your body properly. And that's the two other points of the golden triangle there, really. Correct. That's function and feel. And then that then in turn would affect my workouts mm. because I don't have the energy, because I don't feel um, rested, I don't feel recovered, and you just don't, you just generally don't feel good. Mm. So I, feel, I get very fluidy. So it's not just bloated in my tummy. I, get, I, I retain a lot of fluid throughout my limbs as well. So I just don't feel good. So it affects so many other things. And these things that I've been able to pick up over time just in patterns. Mm. And so like what Matt said, some of these things are forced upon you. You don't really have a choice. And, and so we'll still go out and we'll still have date days. So people will say to us, oh, but... You know, you're not on a diet, so you should be able to eat what you want. But the thing is, at the end of the day, it comes down to choices. So for me, I can go out and eat whatever I want. There really is no no question about it. It's just about, do I want to physically be in pain? Do you want to pay the price that comes with it? And it's the same thing with myself as well. Like I am a massive... Anyone that knows me knows how much I love garlic bread. Yes. Like it's just been a lifelong staple for me. Like it's, I just can't get enough of it. But I've got to be really careful yeah, uh, on how much I have when we go out because I pay for it. And as you said as well, when you have it. So you'll often have it, try to have it when you've done some high intensity exercise. So your, your body is going to help try to digest that even more so than if you did nothing all day. But it still doesn't. It's still, care, you have to be careful. But yep. there, there are patterns in your in in your food that you will recognize and how that makes you feel. And it's so important that you listen to those patterns because as I said at the beginning, there's too many people that just purely look at food as, is this going to make me fat or not make me fat? Yeah, a lot of people are just winging it. And this is where also it's worth bringing up in the discussion the importance of taking notes and recording. This is where we talk about being mindful, but also just writing down, for example... I'm eating X, Y, Z, and I'm feeling A, B, C. Where a lot of people will just be like, oh, well, I ate this and this and this and this, and I felt like shit, but I don't know what it actually was that did it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's just developing those patterns over time. And, and there's really nothing, as you said, Matt, there's nothing you can do about the way that your body's going to change. You just have to go with it. And you know, people say to me, oh, but... But I have the burgers make me feel shit, but I have them because I want it. Well, that's your choice. If you want to feel like shit, go for it. Is is the burger worth feeling like shit for, or are there alternatives that you can have? Correct. So it's not about missing out. It's not about going on a diet and never having anything that you enjoy anymore. It's about alternatives. So can you find, Matt, you found that you can tolerate some gluten-free bread a little bit better than you can tolerate... Regular bread. I certainly can. 
Absolutely. Yep. So, or there's buckwheat bread, which is is really good for people that struggle to digest bread. I don't think I've had buckwheat bread. Oh, haven't you? No, I don't it's think good. I we'll have to try it. But you know, there are alternatives that you can look at and to try and to say, okay, maybe I'll have this and I can still have my burger, but I'm just not going to feel so shit afterwards. Well, it's trial and error, isn't it? Really? Or can I have sweet potato chips instead of white potato chips? Mm. Will that make me feel a little bit better? You know, th- these are the sort of little things th- that you can make alterations to, which are going to make you feel better at the end of the day. Yep. So I love it. That, that it's really, really important to remember function and feel. I can't emphasize it enough because if you go through your entire weight loss journey only thinking about food in terms of is this going to make me fat or not make me fat, then you are going to miss all these other things along the way and it, it's not necessarily going to help you because you might still be eating food that makes you feel like shit. And it, then it's going to affect the way that you feel about your weight loss because if you're like me and you're constantly bloated, then how are you ever going to feel like you're making progress? So food and how you're functioning on food makes so much difference. And so it's so important to look at food and think about whether that is the best choice for you, not necessarily just because it's unhealthy or healthy, but is this going to make me feel sick? Is this going to affect me tomorrow? Am I going to regret eating this physically? Not mentally, but physically, am I going to regret eating this? Now, did you you wanted to also bring up a point about traveling, didn't you? Yeah, I just want to quickly touch on traveling because Matt and I will also be talking about traveling in upcoming episodes a little bit because we are going traveling this end of this year. And a lot Hooray. of Yay! But a lot of people ask us about what we do while we travel. So many people ask us about this. Do you exercise while you travel? Do you not exercise? Do you eat whatever you want when you travel? Now, in terms of that question alone, I think it ties into this episode really well do you eat whatever you want when you travel no and for this exact reason it's got nothing to do with I'm afraid of getting fat while I'm traveling that's got nothing to do with it I'm not afraid of putting on weight when I travel we're not going to it how much we're going to be walking because we walk everywhere and we are out doing everything we we do so many activities when we travel we're active, active all the time super active and we just know what we like to eat so it's not that big of a deal worry for us i've never worried about putting on weight when i travel i worry about feeling sick when i travel that's Mm. my worry so and that is the answer to that question it's not because i don't eat whatever i want when i travel matt doesn't eat whatever he wants when he travels because what's the point of going traveling and feeling like shit yeah i don't want that yeah, definitely not. So that ruins the experience. Don't. This is one big thing to remember when you're traveling and when you're looking at food. Do not go too far away from your normal routine of eating because, as Matt said, you go through a fuel shift and you'll feel shit. And there is nothing worse than paying to go on this awesome holiday and you feel sick. That we almost had that exact disaster uh, on our wedding trip. Yes, if you recall. So Courtney and I went to the US three years ago and our first stop was San Francisco. And I think it was the, you, you got a little bit sick on the flight over. Yeah, I got a uh, throat infection. And then once we landed, you were cooked. Yeah, yep. And we had to go to the doctor and that's, that was an experience. God, yes. Yes. But the thing is there, you were, I remember you being really concerned and I was a little bit too that what have I got? How bad is this and how much is this going to affect our holiday? Yeah. Yeah. And so I got a a throat infection while I was on the plane. 
um, like halfway through the plane trip, my throat started to feel scratchy. And I think maybe I was a bit run down in the lead up to going away, but then being just in the plane. And I think at the time we hadn't taken our supplements with us on the plane. So I didn't take anything like vitamin C or anything like that uh, to help boost my system while I was on the plane. And obviously there's a lot of germs and things like that on the plane. So Mm -hmm. I did get fully like like it fully just took hold and I got a bad throat infection I think we were in San Francisco on day three I just said I can't deal with this anymore because I can barely eat and we had to go to the doctors now that sickness was obviously caused by genuine illness but it still has the potential to ruin parts of your trip well it's also I think made us aware that when you're traveling you want to minimize the chances of you getting you know getting sick getting ill or just feeling like shit as much as possible because it impacts your holiday. It impacts your holiday and you're also in a foreign country. So we were lucky in one way that we were in America. So it's an English-speaking country and even though going to the doctor over there is rather pricey, at least we felt confident going to the doctor over there and getting good treatment. Uh, Some people go to a lot of different countries that don't speak English. You may not have access to good medical advice. It's very hard then to get medication and things like that so i have no desire to go traveling and i would highly recommend for everybody not to go traveling and to to go too far out of your regular eating routine and eating patterns because you're just opening yourself up to then feeling terrible yeah i think i think we can definitely recommend that you pack your mindfulness with you yeah which yeah. we'll be doing for so sure. you just look at food and again you're not in a bubble And I understand everyone says, oh, but you're on holidays. And I get that. But that's no different to the way I eat here. It's like this week I ate like I was on a holiday, same way I would eat. I eat the way I normally eat. And then maybe once or twice during the week, I have something different. But with that something different, it's still mindful where you may not, wherever you're going traveling, you may not be able to eat. I'm not saying you can get access to the exact same food that you usually would eat, but it's just eating in similar rhythm, eating at similar times, eating similar styles of food. So if you're if you day to day at home, if you never eat potato in your, like ever, it's not part of your weekly routine of eating, then there's no point going away and smashing bowls of chips <laughs> because you're going to feel like shit. So you might go away and you might snack on something else. So it's not not necessarily what you would snack on here, but it's not bowls of chips either. You've got to ha- you've got to keep it within the same sort of range as what you would eat here. So when I go away, of course I'm not we're going to be traveling, you know, we're out and about as Matt said, we walk everywhere, we really active, we try to be out all day when we're traveling, sightseeing, seeing things. But at the same mm. time, we try to pack what we can in terms of taking snacks that we know that our bodies are going to like. And then when we're out, if we decide to go out and have some food, we're not going to McDonald's because we don't eat McDonald's. What's the point? What's the point of going to McDonald's? We don't eat McDonald's. I haven't eaten McDonald's in about six years. Mm. So you can only imagine how my body would react if I went and ate McDonald's. Delightful. So we're going to go and we're going to get something that we know that we can eat. We're going to find a salad bar or something like that, that we know that we can go and we can create our own awesome salad and just take it with us and keep going. Also the perks of what we do, like you know how to break a menu down. Exactly. So it's all wrapped up. That's all I'll say about that at the moment, but it's all wrapped up in what we call this part of mindful eating. So looking at food, 
thinking about how it's going to affect you on the inside. So what tips would you give in terms of how to be a mindful eater? Well, first off, I think the most obvious one, Matt, is listen to your body. So that's what we've both done over this whole time. We don't have a little test or anything like that that says that we can hold up that says, oh, I had this blood test and Matt gets bread belly every time he eats bread. (laughs) Like it's just patterns that we've been able to pick up in our own body. We've been able to listen to our own body. We've reacted to certain foods over time and we've realized that, oh, okay, that causes that to happen. Let's not do that again. Yeah, I think also as part of listening to your body that, Ultimately, you've got to experiment and potentially replace. Yeah. So, as Courtney said, if you want to, if you know certain foods make you feel like shit and you want to have them anyway, that's fine. But you've got to be prepared to pay the price. Yes. Where if you know that there's certain foods that you enjoy having as a treat that make you feel like junk, try something else. There's always treats that you can have. You know, I still have chocolate because there's actually fantastic gluten and dairy free chocolate that's made these days. So I'll still have chocolate as a treat. I don't miss out on having chocolate just because I don't eat dairy or gluten. Yeah, the, uh, the next point I want to make is just to keep in mind the golden triangle with regards to being a mindful eater. It, does, it really does matter how you look, function and feel, not just one or two of those points. Absolutely. It makes such a huge difference, as I said. There's no point always constantly focusing on the outside without focusing on the inside, like the example you gave at the start, well, Matt. the outside reflects the inside, doesn't it? The outside it? reflects the inside. And you're not, you're not going to appreciate or you're not going to be happy with any amount of weight loss if you feel like shit. It's just not going to happen. Well said. Very well said. What's the next point? Next tip? No, the next tip is understand changes will occur as your normal changes. Yeah. So whatever your normal is, that will change. So my normal used to be, easy little example, I would have a white a coffee with milk and three sugars. Now, I could never have that now because refined sugar doesn't sit overly well with me. I can't drink milk. I could have lactose-free milk, but I'm fine having my coffee black. And I can only have one of them a day anyway. So your new normal will change over time. So I've gone through a lot of different changes with how I drink my coffee until I've got to where I am now and I've found that this now works for me. Yeah, I gave the examples with things like bread and pumpkin that as you change like and your normal changes, other things about you will change along the way and that's okay. Mm. Absolutely. And, and it's not, as you said, Matt, people look at it in terms of, oh, I can never eat that again. Well, if it means that much to you, eat it and feel like shit. I don't care. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm sick of people saying to me, oh, oh, well, I can't eat that anymore then, fine. Like like I'm the bad one for telling them they, that their body feels like shit on it. Like, eat it. I don't care. Well, honestly, what do you like more? Looking and feeling like shit or the junk food yeah. that makes you feel like shit? I don't care. But at the end of the day, as, as, you, as, as you said, Matt, there are plenty of different things out there that you can have that are yeah. delicious, that are so delicious. Like good food doesn't have to be shit food. And I think what you're saying there, like that's the that's the fourth and final tip we want to give here. It ultimately comes down to choices. Yeah. Doesn't it? It does. It's no different to the choices that you make in terms of, is this food going to make me skinny or fat? It's the same thing with, is this food going to make me feel sick and function well or is it, going, is it not? 
And it's just, that's the part that people tend not to think about because it's one of those things that we can't see. It's not visual. So for everybody, for I would say 99% of everyone that speaks to us, Matt, if you agree, that the the visual side of weight loss is what their aim is. Of course it is. The 1% of people might have a more uh, internal goal for different reasons, but... Most people come to us because they don't like the way they look. Oh, it's the overwhelming majority. So then you've got that, mix that with then the physical changes is all we're going to focus on. So of course, when we look at food, we're we're automatically going to be thinking to ourselves, is this going to make me fat or is it not going to make me fat? Mm. But the, the, the thing we have to force ourselves to really think about is that the inside matters as well. And it matters just as much, if not more. So you really have to think about how you're feeling and it's not the first thing we think about because it's, it's hard to judge because we can't see it. We can't see how our insides are responding to what we're doing. Yeah, but you can feel it though. But you can feel it. You and can that's, feel it day to day. That's what we need to stop and take a second to really think about before we eat food. Well said. I think we wrap that up and uh, move on to an email. Yes. What do you reckon? Yes. What's our email address? Podcast at the weight loss podcast.com. Well said. Where's the music? Do-do-do. There it is. The Otherwise, budget is still low. you can you can also budget is low. Also, you can contact us via our Facebook page, the Weight Loss Podcast. We have a uh, email here from Anna. Thanks for sending in a message, Anna. This came through our Facebook page, yeah. Yeah, it did. Awesome. Hello, Matt and Courtney. Oh, you like that? I honestly don't mind. You think it's it's hilarious. Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> Hello, Matt and Courtney. <laughs> I just recently found your podcast and it's very inspiring. I'm from a very rural area in the USA. We're fans of the USA. We are. We're going back there. We might even go back there this year. Trainers are few and far between where I live. Uh, I'm 29. I broke my right hip last year. Ouch. Then I got pregnant and had twins. Wow, congratulations. Ouch. Then I was diagnosed with lupus. Oh. I'm trying to get back in shape. It's not about a number and it's not about how I look. I just want to be in better condition for my babies. The lupus already slows me down so much and the extra weight is not helping. Mm. I want to start lifting weights, but I don't even know where to start. How do I know what I should do in terms of uh, arm day, leg day, etc.? You know, reps, weight, etc.? Thanks, Anna. Right. Can I just quickly just tell you, Matt, I didn't actually know this message, what this message was until Matt was just reading it out just then. And Anna is actually part of that 1% that I just mentioned that has actually got a, a functional feeling goal. Well, it's a, it's a weight loss goal for a different reason just other than I want to look good. Yes. How ironic that it was. Did you choose that question purposely for this episode? No. Nope. That is ironic. But anyway, I guess you can come at random. Go on. Uh, righto. So here's the thing. How do I know where to start when it comes to weights? So to me, the first sort of thing I'm looking at here is we have uh, a right hip that was broken last year. So step one needs to be uh, getting, I would assume that it is being treated and looked at by some form of physical therapist or specialist. I personally would also be liaising with this sort of a physical therapist slash specialist in terms of where where the do's and the don'ts would be 
Because to me, having someone that's coming off a broken hip, there's probably going to be some limitations somewhere in terms of things you can do, things you can't do. But we need to figure out what those are. Mm. So I think step one is to get some advice, some specialist advice on uh, exercises that would be beneficial for your hip because there could also be potentially a rehabilitation uh, benefit that comes with correct exercise selection. Now that goes any... Okay, here's a, here's a rule we can stick by. Any PT that wants to give you exercise advice after a broken right hip is full of shit. Like, we need to stay in our lane. Yeah. Right? Favorite saying of ours, stay in your lane? Stay in your lane. Right, we need to stay in our lane. Uh, a physical specialist, like a sports physio, osteo, myotherapist, etc. Uh, they're, they're the sort of people I'll be talking to about this. So I'll be liaising with a, uh, a specialist of some kind on what can and can't be done. From there, you've got some boundaries you can work within. Now, once that's done, in terms of you know arm day, leg day, reps, sets, weight, etc., there are three episodes of a really, really good podcast I would like to recommend. The podcast name is The Weight Loss Podcast. I would say the best podcast ever. Just my personal thought. <laughs> I recommend listening to episodes number eight, number 34, and number 44 of this very fine episode. You can find those in the archive over at theweightlosspodcast.com. Episode number eight, exercise and weight loss, what's the best? Episode number 34, how much exercise should I do? And episode 44, why should I lift weights? So get the hip looked at in terms of what you can and can't do and then have a listen to those three episodes and let us know what you come up with. It's hard for us to give specific advice in this regard just because there are, well, there's three, there's three big unknowns here. First unknown is what's the status of the hip? The second unknown is how is the lupus affecting you personally? Because also your, the symptoms of lupus can affect how much you can do on any given week. And that can change from person to person. And the third sort of unknown factor here is that we're going off what we would consider rather limited information. Mm. So often when, when devising a training program for someone, you do need to look at you know um, any potential or any existing injuries or conditions. You also need to look at the person's background. Have they been sitting on the couch for the last 20 years? Or have they been rather active and they've you know, led a rather active lifestyle? They might just need a couple of you know, tweaks here and there. So yeah, uh, keeping it nice and simple, get the hip looked at and start with those three episodes of our podcast, 8, 34, 44. Done. Perfect. Hope that helps, Anna. Hope that helps. If not, blame Courtney. Let us know how you go as well. Yep. So I reckon we sign off. Courtney, podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where we like to get your emails. Courtney, well done. Well done to you too. High five. Love it. So hopefully you've got some value out of this. If not, well, oh well. Yep. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Get more free tips, listen to previous episodes, and contact Matt and Courtney at theweightlosspodcast.com.